Hello again, and welcome to Countdown to Eternity with Pastor James Cadiz. I'm sure many of you watched the Super Bowl last weekend and even the commercials that aired during the game. Well, today, Pastor James would like to draw attention to one of the most popular Super Bowl ads. Centered around the campaign, he gets us. While at first glance, it may appear to be portraying a very good message, but as you'll hear, it's a very dangerous depiction of God and an inaccurate picture of the gospel. Well, hello, my dear brothers and sisters. I want to welcome you to another episode of Countdown to Eternity. And this perhaps may be one of the most controversial episodes that we have done, but I think it's important and I think it is critical considering the time and day in which we live. So why is this going to be controversial? Because I am going to directly address what may be one of the most popular Super Bowl commercials that came out and I have to tell you this, although I did not watch the Super Bowl, there was plenty of attention that was brought upon this video, and I feel compelled to address it. Now, of course, it's a one-minute commercial, and it was put out by the folks who have, for quite some time now, sort of created this campaign called He Gets Us. And the premise behind the campaign is that Jesus is an all-accepting God, which, of course, is true in many ways— but they are redefining the terms that the Bible sets forth. And because they are doing it, it may be one of the most dangerous campaigns that we are seeing happening right now that, yes, I'm going to say it, directly attacks the message of the gospel. It directly attacks Christ. And in many ways, it completely warps the perspective that God intended for us to have concerning who he is and concerning what he requires of us and what he has done for us. So, we are going to get into this commercial for just a moment because I want to address it and I want to bring out some of the imagery and explain why the imagery is so critical for us to actually explore. But I want to start by reading a Bible passage that I think is very appropriate for the moment that we're in because we are undoubtedly in the last days. And I want to read what 2 Timothy says about the last days. This is 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read the first seven verses in chapter 3 and it says this. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Let me say that one more time. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Let me say that one more time. Having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Notice that last phrase ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And folks, I just have to tell you, this is such a perfect picture of the type of mentality that is producing the type of commercial that we are going to talk about today. And it might seem like I'm being harsh in how I'm attacking this, but I want you to understand something. Isaiah chapter 55 makes this clear, and I'm going to read this to you because it's critical. We have to know the biblical foundation for why we come to the conclusions that we come to. Isaiah 55 says this, 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You know, it's very interesting because when I see the phrase, he gets us, I can tell you this right now. He doesn't get us. There's nothing for him to get. He created us. So he understands us better than we will ever understand ourselves. I had a conversation recently with somebody who was so very vividly accurate about my vision and my heart for what God, what I believe God wants for my family and my ministry and uh, the work that we're doing here, that I told him something. I said, man, you get me, right? But the interesting thing about that is there's an aspect of me that is unknown to so many people because you won't be able to know it unless you're really close to me. And so when somebody who isn't really close to me is able to clearly articulate many aspects that somebody not close to me would actually not know, then I say, hey, you get me, right? So the idea here is to imply that God gets us because there's something mysterious about us that God would never understand is a very broken way of looking at things. Now, some of you might say, well, James, listen, this is you just being overcritical with the use of words, but words absolutely matter. And I think that it is really important that we understand this. Words matter. And so I want to get into this because this is really critical. When we know that God knows everything about us, he knows us better than we know ourselves, then the idea that creating a campaign that basically is seeking to manipulate how we act with one another based on what we want to project to other people God thinks of us is a very broken way of looking at it. Now, for you people that are watching online, you are going to have the luxury of seeing these images, but for those of you that are not, you are going to hear this on the radio and we're going to do our very best. I'm going to do my very best to describe this to you. And the one thing that I am not going to do is I am not going to play the music that drives the imagery that you're going to see. And the reason why I'm not going to play the music is because the music in this commercial is designed very vividly and avidly to manipulate the emotions of the people that it is making an appeal to. Now, the premise of this commercial is it shows a series of images of different people from different walks of life washing the feet of other people who come from different walks of life. Now, I think it's really important because I want to simply start off with one very important statement, and that is foot washing does not have the same cultural implications or significance today that it would have back then, because back then it had a very practical association with it, and to carry it into a culture like today makes no sense. But the idea that it is being carried into a culture of today means that they are utilizing a certain emotional component of what that imagery creates to bring into thought something that was not intended to be brought into. And in this specific case, they're wanting to draw a picture of a gospel that is not real, and they're wanting to draw a picture of Christ that is inaccurate. And I think this is very, very important for us to bring out and something that I want to really speak concerning. Let me read you the story in John chapter 13 that talks to us about what happened when the feet were being washed, when Christ washed the feet of his disciples. I'm going to read this to you, and it says this. It says in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own. That's the, the word, right? Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing 
Pay attention to this detail. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things unto his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, what I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. It's very interesting. He is already putting Peter on notice because Peter doesn't understand what's actually happening. And we're going to talk about the process of foot washing in a little bit uh, and, and talk about why that's uh, so significant. But let me read the rest of John uh, chapter 13 to you. So verse 8 Peter saith unto him, thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter, verse nine, saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus saith to him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And you are clean, but not all. Verse 11, for he knew who should betray him? Therefore said he, you are not all clean. This is a, a dig, by the way, at uh, Judas. And it's uh, Jesus, of course, making sure Judas understands that he knows what's going on, right? Verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, know you what I have done to you? Now, he's going to answer that question. He, he asks it rhetorically, and we'll get into verse 13 in just a second. But there's something I want you to understand, because this is very, very critical. Foot washing was significant back in those days because it was very practical. When people walked, they either walked bare feet or they walked with sandals. And of course, what that would do is it would make their feet quite dirty. And so when they would enter into a home, it was the job of a servant to wash the feet so that when they walked in that home, their feet would not drag in any kind of dirt and things remained relatively clean. And of course, as you would know, it was a very dirty process. And Jesus being their master having to do something like wash their feet was a very humbling process for them, right? So there was a very clear message here, and the message had nothing to do with what's being implicated in this commercial. The implication of this commercial is accept people in their sins and allow them to continue doing what they're doing, and you'll be fine so long as you wash their feet. That's really the message. The message has nothing to do with confront the sin, love the sinner, hate the sin, and preach the gospel, their gospel message is broken here. But look at what Jesus says, because this is really what it is. By the way, when you see the imagery that you're about to see in this video, remember that the biblical model was in a very specific time period, conducive to the situation that I just spoke about, culturally speaking and geographically speaking. It's also related to the di disciples, right? Jesus was washing the feet of his disciples, and there was a specific lesson to teach the disciples in that specific moment, not other people in the world. He did this with his disciples. He didn't do it with anybody else. But look what it goes on to say. He says, you call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If then your Lord and master have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is greater 
than he that sent him. For if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. What is Jesus addressing here? Jesus is addressing a very serious problem that was beginning to develop amongst the disciples. And that was this. They were fighting over who was going to be greater in the kingdom. They were looking for uh, the sort of um, uh, ambitious kind of mechanism that drove them to that place where they were sort of developing a dog-eat-dog mentality. And Jesus basically broke all that down by doing one of the most menial things that anybody could ever do as their master. And he says, if I do this as your master, then you disciples should be doing this for one another. In other words, you're a team and you as a team of people need to be loving on one another and preferring one another over yourselves. Now, those principles can undoubtedly apply to the people that you're preaching a message to. Of course, the context here is amongst the disciples. And for me, as a pastor, for me as an employer, for me as even a businessman, there's a great message in that. I need to learn how to be better at treating the people around me, loving on the people around me, caring for the people around me, giving of myself for the people around me, that I would be willing to reduce myself to doing something so menial that the people around me would be humbled to see that I would do that because I love them and I care about them. And that's the context of John chapter 13. It is not what you are about to see. So let's talk about this, and I'm going to bring up some of these images, and I want you to see these images because they're designed to be emotional triggers that take you away from what the Scriptures teach. They don't get you closer. They take you away from what the Scriptures teach. So let me show this to you, okay? Here's the first image, and this is, of course, behind really, really nice, soft music, and of course, the image is a family environment where a son appears to be washing the foot of his dad, and it's a very uh, um, uh, old-school uh, picture of a 1960s-era American home. It's a beautiful painting. The imagery is uh, very pleasant to the eyes, and that's what you see. Then we go into the next scene, and when you get into the next scene, you're going to see a police officer who is bowing himself down. By the way, it's a Hispanic police officer in a back alley without his shoes on, bowing himself down to a criminal or what would appear to be a criminal who is a black man who is standing and staring at him with a, a, a certain bit of disdain. Understand this. These images are not based in reality, okay? For the officer's safety, he would never do anything like this, and you would never expect an officer to do anything like this. And the environment in which this is taking place doesn't even make sense. It doesn't have a practical implication. But the imagery is designed to get you to think that this is the way it should be, and it even would imply that you should tolerate behavior that isn't acceptable. That's what you're seeing here. Let's continue on, because the next image does something very similar, okay? You've got a cheerleader in a high school that's, uh, or she appears to be that type that's kind of hanging out with a girl who might not fit necessarily in that category. They're both uh, very attractive ladies, but one is a skater, and the other one is um, someone who clearly comes from a different class, and uh, she's just pouring water over her feet. Again, this isn't even biblically accurate with what the imagery would have looked like when somebody's foot would get washed, okay? You're just looking at a person pouring water over another person's feet. It's reflective of their lack of willingness to communicate what is actually happening here. The imagery is not drawing a biblical picture of what a foot washing would have looked like. So we move on and we get into the next image. And of course, the next image is, you know, out in the desert somewhere. And um, I, I can't quite place 
who these people are. One looks like a Native American and the other one, I don't know if he's a Native American himself, but somebody who I believe they're trying to make him look like a cowboy who's not uh, indigenous to the area. And so it's like a cowboy with a Native American. I think that's the picture. And they both have their uh, shoes off, which means they're going to each watch each other's feet. By the way, in all of this imagery, that's exactly what's happening, right? So it's not like uh, they're, they're, they're doing it together. Now, this one is very disturbing to me. As a matter of fact, this one is almost sacrilegious to me because this is an older lady bowing down to a younger lady who appears to be with child and washing her feet in front of a family planning clinic. Let's just call it an abortion mill, okay? And there are people who are protesters off to the side who are being made to appear to be very um, uh, unloving, unkind, and they've got pro-life posters. One says, uh, save this child, save the unborn, uh, that type of a thing, right? So they're making those people look like the bad people because they're unwilling to participate in the foot washing while they're making this picture look like something that probably shouldn't be. And I'm going to tell you this right now. People that stand outside of abortion clinics who encounter these amazingly precious women that are going in pregnant to abort their babies it's amazing to see how they are skilled and very good at saving lives and not just saving the life of the baby that's about to die but saving the life of the mother that's about to abort the baby it's a very important ministry but they're minimizing what's going on there in order to create imagery like the most effective thing to do is to wash a woman's feet while you're in front of an abortion clinic well the reality of it is if you tried to do that you'd probably get arrested okay that's the reality of it but there's that image. And then we move on and we continue to see more imagery. And of course, this looks like either a, I think it's a daughter with a mother, a mother who's an alcoholic. There's alcohol everywhere in a very messy kitchen that isn't really well kept. And these two women are, their, their faces are in each other and they're washing each other's feet while they're having an emotional, uh, emotional thing. Folks, I want to explain something. Washing somebody's feet is not going to create regeneration in their hearts, okay? Washing somebody's feet is not going to make them transformed to no longer be a part of what this world has to offer. It's just not going to be the case. But I want you to understand the imagery here is designed to get you emotional so that you can be prodded into a type of tolerance that isn't actually biblical. But that's what it's going on. Let's go to the next image. And the next image is another one. And again, uh, I think it's uh, uh, kind of the same kind of a picture, an oil man who's out there uh, basically working the oil fields with a woman who appears to be either Asian or uh, white, who is uh, kind of a Pocahontas looking girl who's clearly protesting, right? She's clean air now. So you've got the oil worker with the, with the protester and the oil worker is cleaning the protester's uh, feet. And again, his shoes are off, expecting that she's going to clear his feet again. The imagery is based in, in something designed to elicit an emotion, but is it biblical? And the answer to that is no. Just because feet washing happened in the Bible doesn't mean that the context in which this is being placed in is actually biblical. And I think it's important. That needs to be understood. So the next image we get is, of course, kind of another uh, interesting thing, and that's uh, uh, somebody uh, uh, traveling on a bus. It's a woman who is clearly homeless uh, with, um, uh, with a baby uh, in her hand and somebody who's much more well off. And they're in front of a bus and uh, she's cleaning her feet. And she, you know, the woman with the baby in her hand that doesn't have much, she's got dirty pants, she kind of looks hopeless. And again, same type of imagery, right? And the picture here isn't designed to get people to think, oh, these are homeless people coming off of a bus. What the implication of this imagery is to show people that these are illegals coming in from Mexico into a very uh, middle class or upper middle class white neighborhood and the white people in the neighborhood are washing the Hispanic people's feet and the reason why they appear to be homeless or dirty looking is because they've been uh, running through uh, Mexico to come into the United States of America. Again, 
more imagery designed to manipulate the mind and the heart of people. And the funny thing about this is when you actually enforce the border rules, you save these babies that are being depicted in this picture. You actually save people from suffering the way that they continue to suffer. But that's a different story. Let's move on. And uh, perhaps the last piece of imagery or second to the last piece of imagery is a white family, uh, clearly, you know, cowboy hat, you know, American, I'm American, wiping the feet of a Muslim family. This is what it looks like or an Arab family. Let's just let's just put it that way. And again, same type of imagery. Right. Then you get into another picture here where you have um, kind of the same thing where you've got a, uh, a, a censorship uh, protest and, you know, some people uh, say that you're hateful. So be quiet. And you're not. And. Again, you have what looks like a white woman having her feet being washed by a black woman, uh, both protesting on each side. And then you've got another image that comes up uh, where you have uh, kind of a southern rural background. They're sitting on an old school porch where both men are holding hands. One is an older white man holding hands with an older black man, and both their feet are in the same tub for the foot washing um, the imagery is, again, designed to do the same things that we've been talking about. And the next image that you get is perhaps, in my opinion, one of the more egregious images. But again, it's designed to create a message that God never intended to create. And it is a man who appears to be uniquely effeminate. I'm not going to say he's gay. He may or may not be. I don't know. But he's definitely effeminate. And he is having his feet washed by what looks like a Catholic priest. And the Catholic priest has his shoes off. And again, the idea is no matter who the person is, we're supposed to uh, accept the sin and accept the sinner. And that's the message. And then after all this imagery goes, let me show you what happens. You guys are seeing the animation that are watching this uh, online. It says, Jesus didn't teach hate. Right. And then the next thing it is, the next thing they say is he washed feet. And that was it. Jesus didn't teach hate, but he washed feet. Now, I cannot emphasize how important it is to point out the last part of this. Right. If you look at this imagery, OK, look at it at the very end. It says he gets us all of us and they highlight the word us. Right. And then they take the name Jesus and highlight the word us in Jesus. But it's never been about us. It's always about God and what God has done for us. Yet what we're doing is we're reversing the picture. And I also want to briefly um, address the issue of God not teaching hate, okay? Because that's also a real problem because God does hate things. And the Bible says that God hates things. We see it in the Bible, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 uh, through 19. These six things doth the Lord hate. It's a very clear word. Yea, seven things are an abomination unto him, a proud look. Lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviceth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord amongst the brethren. Amos 5.21, I hate, I despise your feasts. I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. And by the way, I would go through my teaching on Amos. I talk about the context of that. It's a pretty powerful context. How about John chapter 12, verse 25? He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Isn't it funny how Jesus is using the term hate in the context of actually sparing your life for eternity? Or how about this? No man, this is Matthew, very, very powerful passage. Matthew chapter six, verse 24. No man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And the picture is you better learn to hate mammon. Otherwise, you're not gonna serve God. That's a teaching, right? This is another one. This is a, a very, very important one, right? Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor, meaning hate, that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. That's Romans 12, 9. Luke 14, 26. This is a big, 
big one, right? Ready for this? If any man come to me and hate not his father, that's the word, hate, not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. What does that mean? It means, and it's a very powerful picture what that means, you must be willing to throw away everything for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of what Christ is bringing to the table, because those things pale in comparison. And the idea, and I teach this to people, I teach people in premarital counseling, I teach people in family counseling, love God more than you love anybody else, and you'll never have a problem loving everybody else, right? When you talk about Jesus doesn't teach hate, but Jesus washes feet, it's such a terrible terrible characterization of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what he stands for. And I want to say this as the father of three children that I love and I care for. I hate anything that will endanger my children. I hate anything that would put their lives at risk or put their souls at risk. And I hate it with a passion. And I believe that hate comes from the Lord. The Bible tells us to learn to hate the things that God hates and love the things that God loves. How can I hate anything that God hates if God doesn't teach hate? Okay, and I understand what they mean when they say that God doesn't teach us to hate people, right? Well, of course, we need to be people who care about humanity around us. But that is not the message here. And the message is broken. So I just thought that I would spend some time to talk about this. I know that this is going to be met with some difficulty. But guys, let's put things into proper context. Listen to me. We love the people, right? We love the people who even sin, but we hate the sin because the sin destroys them. And that's why we're doing what we're doing here. So I just thought I would do this. Look, we knew that in the last days we would see all of this stuff happening. And that's why I wanted to bring this to your attention, that you would be able to take it and that you would be able to really, really put it in proper perspective. Guys, we've got to bring everything up with the scriptures. Does the scripture teach it? Great. Then what do we do? We follow it. Okay? Thank you for joining us for another episode of Countdown to Eternity. I love you so much. This is Pastor James Cadiz. God bless you. And keep your eyes on Jesus. This is Countdown to Eternity with Pastor James Cadiz. Thanks for listening. You can hear this program again when you visit CountdownToEternity.com. That's Countdown, the number two, Eternity.com. Or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Pastor James goes live each week on Instagram, Rumble, and YouTube. We're releasing short videos for you too throughout the week, helping you connect the dots between what we're seeing around us to Bible prophecy. Look for James Cadiz on any of those platforms and at jamescadiz.com. If you appreciate this ministry and want to see it continue, please pray for us. And as you're able and led by the Lord, you can also donate to the ministry at countdown2eternity.com. We look forward to sharing another prophecy update with you next week. So join us right here as together we count down to eternity. This program is brought to you by Calvary Chapel Signal Hill.